Hey y'all, it's Crystal. And it's Samantha. And this is Serial Holic Sisters. True crime shit. Hager, hey, hey. Hey. How's it going? I mean, it's going, you know. Same old, yeah. same old. Busy, yeah. busy. Yeah, I know that life. <laughs> Couple um, y'all know about that life. We do, we do. Especially since the school has started again. <laughs> the school has definitely started. So that's that's happening. Had a nice little hour long wait for my kid to come out of football practice today because he's a dumbass and told me that it was over at a certain time and it was not. It was not over for another 45 minutes. <laughs> See, I'm concerned because Danielle just made the basketball team and I don't want to do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is this the first year that you've got a, a kid doing school? This is our first school sport. Yes, we've done a lot of like rec league and church league and stuff. Yeah, like that. I knew you did. I knew you did rec. So this is the second year I've done school, and it's fine. I don't mind. But when you tell me that your practice is over at one time, and I come <laughs> and I'm sitting there for 45 minutes, you better be right. <laughs> yeah, I'd be a little peeved. Not gonna lie. Not gonna lie. But I blame the coach. It's not his fault. No, I blame my son. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I do not blame did, the coach. Did he all. hold the practice or no? <laughs> no, but but he gets in the car and I asked him why he told me. He was like, Well, I just assumed. So he didn't oh, even ask. Did you tell him what happens when you assume things? Yeah, I said that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I said that can make you walk. <laughs> when I asked my kids, I was like, when I say you know what they say when you assume something. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, what do they say? And they're like, the A word. Because <laughs> they're so wholesome. Yes. <laughs> so anywho. Anywho, sure. It's, it's begun. It has begun. So it is my turn. It is it, your turn. All of this mess of getting ready for school, I somehow eventually got my notes done. It was like days and days of me saying, oh, not done yet. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. But yes, I got them done. It's happening. We're doing it. Let's do it. So <laughs> this week I am covering a super fucked up couple. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Hadn't done a couple in a while. So I thought. It no, I don't think we have, have we? Right maybe the one that really sticks out is the ken and barbie one yeah carla and paul hamoka i'm thinking yes. maybe the last couple we did was was it fred and mary west i feel like you did the ken and barbie case after oh i don't know maybe but yeah it's been a minute so this couple is known as australia's most notorious serial killer couple and are sometimes referred to as the bonnie and clyde of australia I know this one. I figured you might. I know this one. I know this one. <laughs> so they had an extremely toxic codependent relationship. Yes, they did. <laughs> <laughs> and together they abducted, raped, and killed young women in Perth, Australia. So this week I'm covering David and Catherine Burney and the Morehouse murders. So let's get into it. David and Catherine were both born in 1951. David in February and Catherine in May. I'm going to talk about David first. So he was the oldest of five children to Margaret and John Burney. Now, Margaret and John were not what you would call ideal parents, per se. So before they got married to each other, when they had asked the local priest in town to like conduct their wedding ceremony, he expressed several concerns about them as individuals and as a potentially married couple. <laughs> So, right off to a great start. Great start. <laughs> when the preacher man's like, eh, I don't know about this. 
he told them that they were an unusual and unsuited pairing and that he thought their union could never lead to any good. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> that's some harsh words there. It's <laughs> a strong statement. So when I first read that, I was like, damn, dude, judge people much? Like, come on. <laughs> that's a harsh statement, Mr. Preacher Man. <laughs> right. But I got to say, he wasn't wrong. So Margaret was known for her, like, coarse language and behavior. She was known to constantly scream at her kids. And they were a very low-income family, so they would cut costs where they had to. So, like, Margaret would often exchange sexual favors with, like, taxi drivers Ew. as, like, payment for a ride. You know, got to cut those costs, you know? <laughs> got to uh, cut those costs. <laughs> <laughs> got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. They were both alcoholics. So, you know, that's, like, super cheap. You know, they're they're doing what they can. It's ha- it sounds like they're really cutting those costs. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, somehow, with all of these cost-cutting tricks, they still had a great deal of trouble affording their kids. Also, their home was, like, super filthy. Ew. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. Neighborhood kids would come over and play, and they would say, like, it's gross. The refrigerator door was often just, like, left wide open, so the kids and the family dog could just, like, kind of eat whenever, like, just walk by, grab something. Yeah. And that was because they never had family meals, probably because their parents never prepared meals for them so like just parents like, were too busy hooking and <laughs> and drinking <laughs> right, right gotta pay those bills i don't know so in <laughs> fact john and margaret expected the older kids to take care of the younger ones because like they weren't gonna do it you know so throughout their childhood that's why they had kids right that's, <laughs> right that's why they had kids early so the <laughs> older ones could take care of the younger ones they um throughout their childhood the birdie children were like periodically removed from their parents by social services due to neglect. So the Bernies would like get their act together for a hot minute, get the kids back. And then they would just like repeat the whole cycle and do it all over again. So I knew they had really crap. I know they had a crappy parent, but what, what gets me is why did they feel the need to go get them back? That's what I'm saying. Like, clearly you <laughs> like do not want them. Clearly you don't didn't want... want them. So, like, why? Right. I'll never understand the parents that are just not meant to be parents that go and do that when they have a chance to be, you know, adopted or taken in by somebody else or something. Let them live a good life. Exactly. If they have a chance at something better. Just let them do it, especially when you clearly don't want them. The only possible thing I could think of as to why they would go get them back would be welfare checks. ridiculous like welfare checks or yep. things like that, mm-hmm. which is awful. Yes. There were also rumors going around town that the family engaged in incest. Um, eventually, after 10 years of the kids being repeatedly removed from their parents, they were all sent to different foster homes and some of them lost contact forever with each other. So, like, some of them, they never saw their siblings again. Some of them, they did meet back up, but it's, like, really sad. Before this would happen, when David was 12 years old, a girl the same age as him, named Catherine Harrison, moved in next door. Catherine was born to Doreen and Harold Harrison. Mm-hmm. When she was two years old, her mother died giving birth to her little brother, who then died two days later. Aww. Right? She then moved to South Africa with her father, Harold, but Harold struggled with, like, taking care of her. He was, like, unable to cope with her and with what had happened, and he was kind of a mess himself. So he sent Catherine to live with her maternal grandparents back in Perth, Australia. 
So life with her grandmother was hard on Catherine. She was like a very lonely child. Her grandmother would never allow any other children to come into her home. And the parents of other kids in the neighborhood wouldn't allow their kids to play with her anyway. So she was just super lonely. So people that knew her when she was young said that she was a child that never really smiled. Like they never saw her smile. Probably because everybody was like assholes to her always. I was going to say, because everyone was just fucking mean. Right. Like, she lost her mom at a young age. Her dad just, like, sent her away. Grandma was mean. Wouldn't let anybody play with her. She was just alone all the time. Um, At one point, she moved out of her grandparents' home and in with an aunt and uncle, but then was moved back to the grandparents. And then when she was 10, Harold moved back to Perth and decided that he wanted her back. And for some reason, the grandmother wasn't having that. So there was like a huge custody dispute and eventually Harold gained sole custody of her. So at the age of 12, that's when she moved back in with her father, who just happened to live next door to 12 year old David Burney. Mm-hmm. So that's how they got next door to each other. Now, remember, she spent her entire life lonely, never right. able to have like a relationship with her mother. Relationship with her father was always on again, off again, bouncing from relative to relative. She just doesn't have any friends. She's desperate for, like, love and acceptance. So, enter David Burney. Catherine was instantly smitten with David. And, like, who wouldn't be? He was a short, fast-talking, scrawny little boy (laughs) (laughs) who swept her off her feet and showed her the wild side of life. He could just do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, because there was absolutely no parental supervision happening over at the Burney house. So, he was, like, this bad boy and he was actually showing Catherine attention. The one thing that she'd wanted so desperately her entire life, but they didn't live next door to each other for too long because David and his siblings would be taken away by child services. Oh yeah, that's right. Again. Right. So the next few years, David would get even more wild. So by the age of 14, he had quit school and he went to work as an apprentice jockey. What does one do as an apprentice jockey? So he's basically like learning to become a jockey, like the horse jockey, you know? And since he's so wee, it seems like the perfect job for him because they just need like wee light little guys. So he was basically training to become a jockey. And so he would like clean up after the horses, like take care of the horses, learn what he's supposed to. That's basically what he's doing. And the job at the local stables enabled him to live at the local boarding house which worked out perfectly for him since he wasn't living with his parents anymore. And by this time, both of his parents were divorced. And now neither one of them even wanted to try to get back custody of their kids. They're just oh, like, oh. okay. Right. They're just like, whatever. We, we didn't want them to begin with. This jockey apprentice job seemed like the perfect path for him to pursue since he was like, so we, like I said, and he could have really possibly gone far with his career, but this job did not last very long. It is rumored that David often mistreated and abused the horses. Oh, no. Right? Also, that's you got some balls to do that because <laughs> horses, I'm telling you right now, horses can do some damage. They will not think twice before they kick your ass. Right? Like literally kick your ass. <laughs> he also became quite the exhibitionist and would often just like parade around in his birthday suit. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. So when he was 15, he broke into an elderly woman's apartment, completely naked, except for a stocking that he was wearing over his head, 
And it said, all the reports say that he had planned on raping this woman, but she had a small lap dog that like flipped <laughs> the fuck out on him. All because all older ladies do. <laughs> right. Right. And this dog flipped out, ran him off. And then his boss ended up finding out about this because they knew who he was. So the woman actually happened to be like the landlord over the boarding house where he was staying. So they knew who he was. So his boss found out he was fired. And then around this time, it was around this time when him and Catherine would meet again. This time he was even wilder than before. And he had quite an extensive juvenile criminal record for like robbery and assault. And Catherine was drawn to him like a moth to a flame. She fell madly in love with him and would do anything for him. And David was excited about having an accomplice. So together, the two of them would get into all kinds of trouble. Catherine's father, Harold, would actually beg her on several occasions to leave David because she was now getting into so much trouble with the police hanging out with him. She refused. It was the whole, like, you don't understand our love. You can't keep us apart type deal. So by trying to keep them apart, Harold was only pushing them closer together. Catherine ended up dropping out of school and she joined David in all of his criminal activities. Of course. Right. She was willing to follow him anywhere and do anything he asked of her. By the time they were 18, the couple found themselves in front of the Perth court yet again. They had been court. They had been court. <laughs> They'd been to court several times at this point, And this time they were being charged with 11 counts of breaking and entering and petty theft. So, when you said um, the Bonnie and Clyde of Australia, a lot of people think that like Clyde was the worst one out of them, but Bonnie was. <laughs> right, right. Bonnie was. So I'm very, very like this, this gives me that vibe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Both of them pled guilty to all charges. David was sentenced to nine months in jail due to his extensive record for similar crimes. They're like, okay, you're clearly not learning. You're going to do some jail time now. <laughs> Catherine happened to be pregnant with another man's child at the time and was just put on probation right I don't get that because how do you, every how do you go from like not talking to anybody to only talking to this guy and now pregnant with somebody else's baby? right the whole every report that I saw that I was like so confused because I'm like she's so they all talk about she's so madly in love with him didn't talk to anybody else oh by the way she's pregnant with another man's kid yeah, I never understood that. So I know bits and pieces of this case. I don't know it extensively like you're telling it. Right. But I do recall reading how she was pregnant with another man's baby. And I never understood that at all because right. it doesn't make sense for such an outcast kid that was just so unloved. Right. And so I did see there were several times that they would have like little arguments and like break up for a little bit. So I wonder if that had happened and if she was like, well, I'll go see this other guy kind of like as a revenge yeah, type but thing. This other guys, I'm saying like she didn't talk to people. Well, I think now when she was older and was out on yeah. her own, I think she was just kind of talking to whoever basically. Right. So she was pregnant and because of that, she was put on probation. Probation. She was put on probation. <laughs> so it's believed that the court was more lenient on her because she was like this young, naive, pregnant girl who was just under this hooligan spell. So they were like, okay, he'll go to jail for nine months. She won't be under his influence and we'll have this child and like come to her senses. Okay. Well, yeah, that that's... was not the case. 
um, on June 21st, 1970, David broke out of jail and went to Catherine. Jails. Like, what? Right. <laughs> yeah. Just broke out, met up with her. And right. over the next month, they committed a string of thefts and break-ins. Like, broke out of jail and they just both went back to... <laughs> They're like, oh, you're out? Okay, cool. Let's right. go. Right. So after about a month of this, they were caught. And when they were caught, they had like a bunch of wigs with them, probably like as disguises, you know, for when they burgled. And some sticks of dynamite, which is concerning. That is concerning. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they were both charged with 53 counts of theft, burglary, trespassing, and illegal operations of a motor vehicle. The judge added a few more years to David's already prison term that he was supposed to be serving right now and sentenced Catherine to six months in jail. So she had her baby while she was serving this time and the baby was like immediately taken away by welfare services. Right. And her probation officer saw this as like a huge chance to break her away from David's influence. They're like, she's got no contact with him. She's got all this time to sit and think and reflect on like what she wanted her future and future of her new baby to look like. So her parole officer convinced her that she would be better off without David. And at the end of her sentence, everyone thought that she had been rehabilitated. When she was released, they're like, you are not to see David again. Like, don't go near him. He's not good for you. Like you can do better for your life and for your baby and whatever. So she was granted custody of her child. And at the encouragement of her parole officer, she began working as a live-in nanny for the McLaughlin family, which was like a wealthy, respectable family in the area. Right. And, and soon after starting there, she, it cracked me up when I read this because it said she fell pregnant. <laughs> how do you fall? <laughs> you fall on somebody's penis to get pregnant? Right. Like, how does that work? <laughs> I don't understand that saying. <laughs> like, how do you fall pregnant? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I tripped and fell and I'm pregnant. <laughs> fell pregnant. Like, not how that works. Yeah. So soon after she became pregnant with Donald McLaughlin. I don't think I'm saying the last name right, by the way. I think it's McLaughlin. M-C-L-A-U-C-H-L-A-N. I'm just adding the f sound. It's McLaughlin. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. Yeah, so Donald was one of the oldest sons in the family. And he and Catherine, like, it started seeing each other. She got pregnant. And the two of them were married on her 21st birthday. Oh, okay. By the time November rolled around, Donnie Jr. was born. And the couple seemed to be truly happy with, like, their little family and their little life together. But unfortunately, tragedy would strike soon after. So when Donnie Jr. was seven months old, he was crawling around outside, like they were all outside. A friend was over visiting and the friend starts to leave. They're like, okay, nice visit. See you later. When the friend backed out of the driveway. Oh, you are not telling me that that friend ran the baby over. Ran Donnie Jr. over and killed him. How? How? Who is not watching the baby crawl behind a vehicle? I don't understand. But yes, he crawls behind the car. They back over him, kill him. Catherine's outside, witness the whole thing. Somehow, you know, a lot of times when tragedies like this happen, it tears couples apart. Like they just can't get past it. Somehow, Donald and Catherine were able to make it through this tragedy and they went on to have six more children together. 
Oh my God, girl. It's <laughs> a lot of babies. Not to mention the other baby that she already had, right? Yeah, so that's seven kids. Well, eight, including Donnie Jr. Right. So things seemed to be going well for them until Donald hurt his back and was no longer able to work. Mm. And then things went downhill. They were running tight on money. They had to move into like a small government provided home. That's not always a bad thing. It's not always, but this was a bad thing when there was seven children and a small home in a small right. home and the husband laid up with his back and the wife is Catherine Bernie. Um, <laughs> touche, uh, touche. <laughs> so she soon became sick of living life in poverty. And right. meanwhile, David had been released from prison and had also settled into like a family life situation. So he seemed to have turned his life around. He had married a woman named Carrie. The two seemed to be like truly in love. Together, they had a daughter named Tanya. Six years into their marriage, David suffered a head injury at work. And it's at this time that Carrie said that she noticed a huge change in his behavior. Now, I just want to throw out there, he was already a shitty person to begin with because... His past. I mean, he was a criminal person. He might not have been a, like, shitty... shitty. He made bad choices. He made he made several bad choices before this head injury. He made much, much worse choices after. So right. he began treating Carrie very poorly and started to have a ton of affairs. Carrie found out about this. And for a while, she just kind of like overlooked it. She was like, this isn't really David. Like, this isn't the man I fell in love with. He would never treat me like this. It's just like the head injury. And basically, she was hoping that everything would go back to the way it was before eventually right unfortunately this did not happen um after four years of putting up with david treating her like shit and cheating on her and 10 years of marriage girl you're a saint <laughs> okay here is the straw that broke the camel's back so david did i don't even know what this is the unthinkable i don't know what the fuck so he brought home his 16 year old girlfriend and he informed carrie that their daughter tanya was to move out of her bedroom and into Carrie's bedroom with her and that he and the 16-year-old girlfriend would now be living in their daughter Tanya's bedroom. Yeah. Excuse me? Yeah. First of all, that's illegal. She's 16. <laughs> right. Second of all, hell motherfucking no. That is how you get cut. <laughs> okay. I will cut you. <laughs> I will fuck a bitch up. I don't care if she's 16 and I will fuck a bitch up. I don't care how old you are. <laughs> yeah. Like, also, I wouldn't have put up with, with him treating me like that for that long anyways. No, but After I mean. Very first affair. That would have been a no for me. Right. But I mean, I get it. They've been together for a while and she was like, oh, this isn't him and whatever. But damn, girl. Damn. Damn. <laughs> but yeah. Carrie was like no fuck no like Tanya and I will be moving out and you can do whatever the fuck you want to because we're not a thing anymore like that's it bye <laughs> okay bye so not long <laughs> after Carrie left David decided that you know it's time to track down his one true love in life Catherine <sighs> it's time of course so she had just given birth to her and Donald's seventh child and she had just had a hysterectomy she was like no more babies and she was still in the hospital recovering when David tracked her down, like at the hospital. 
he literally pulls up and and walks up in this hospital room yes Uh -uh. she was immediately pulled back into her david bernie spell and decided she didn't want to be donald's wife anymore she also decided she didn't want to be a mother anymore so she called donald up and she told him that she would not be coming back home to him or the kids and that was that like she just never went back to them just straight up abandoned all of her children including a newborn like four-week-old baby so she (laughs) right they're terrible people she and david moved into a new house together at three morehouse street and she never looked back that was that and although she and david never got married she had her last name legally changed to bernie of course she did right even though she was already married (laughs) to don (laughs) (laughs) but she was like i don't want to i don't want to be married anymore and they're like no that's not how that works she was like yeah it is <laughs> so and they were like no it's really not <laughs> so they began their life together and this is where the story goes from wow these are some pretty shitty people to what the fuck they're actual monsters this episode is brought to you by shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage no matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Right. So FYI, it's going to get a little bleh for the rest of the whole episode. So everybody have all the warnings. Everything else is awful. Now. Okay. Something I haven't really touched on yet is how completely obsessed with sex David was. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So like his entire life, this was the thing. Um, You know, I briefly mentioned how his mother was known to be promiscuous and it was really family was incestuous and that. Right. And and that he was planning on raping an elderly woman, you know. I mean, clearly we've kind of touched to it. (laughs) We've touched a little, but not much. So it went much deeper than this. So David was heavily into like kinky sex and he had like a huge pornographic collection, which like, I'm not shaming you, you do you, whatever, but (laughs) being into like kinky stuff and porn is one thing, but having a sexual relationship with your younger brother for years. Wait, what? Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and not be okay with that. Like, like I kind of. I'm just going to go back and say I didn't know about that, too. <laughs> right. So, you know, he had said that David had been in trouble with the law. He'd been in and out of jail for years. During one of these prison stints that he did, he was actually reunited with his younger brother, James. You know, they had been separated when they went to different foster homes. Um, James was also not a great guy and was in prison for indecent assault of his six-year-old niece. But his defense was that the six-year-old had actually led him on. What? What? The six-year-old led him on. What? Exactly. <laughs> like, I, like, I hurt you, but what? <laughs> so he told one reporter, you don't know what they can be like. Six-year-olds. Oh, my God. That makes me sick to my stomach because yes. I have one that's mm-hmm. A, mm-hmm. literally, like, a week from being six years old right right so like they're awful according to james david's appetite for sex was like insatiable 
So he said that David had to have sex five to six times a day. He also said, like, I don't know how. <laughs> right. Also, I'm like, at first I was like, why do you have this information? Because he was like, also, he said that David would sometimes inject some kind of like numbing agent directly into his penis so that he could last for longer. Like, what? 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 James said that in, oh, I wrote 1894, 1984. We went way way back back in time. (laughs) He said that in 1984, um, David and Catherine broke up for like a very short period. And during this time, David forced James to submit to anal intercourse with him. What is it? My dog is upstairs. Oh, I was like, did a child just enter the room when I said anal intercourse? Because that's no, not okay. <laughs> I was trying to say, hold on. Oh, <laughs> 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 <Yes. Continue. laughs> after anal intercourse. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so James said that David wasn't very fussy about how his needs were met. He just had to have sex a few times a day. And with Catherine briefly out of the picture, David looked to his little brother to meet his needs. That is fucked up. Yeah, so fucked up. But that's okay because when David and Catherine got back together, David made up for this to James by letting James have sex with Catherine as a gift for his 21st birthday. Also fucked up. Everything about this is fucked up. (laughs) Like, why is Catherine okay with that? (laughs) Because Catherine is also fucked up. Well, I know, but I'm saying, like, why? Why? Like, what? Because what the actual thought? Because <laughs> she's insane, and anything David wants, she's going to give him. Because she just loves him so much. Ain't nobody <laughs> worth that, okay. girl. So it's said. I don't know if this is true, but I did see that it said that the incestuous relationship between David and James continued until David's final incarceration. Because you know, spoiler alert: they do get caught. That's why we know well, all this stuff, right? Right. <laughs> So we're going to fast forward to 1986, year I was born. (laughs) Thought it was a great year. This makes me rethink that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The Bernies have been together for some time now, and their sex life is getting pretty mundane. So he'd already talked Catherine into doing anything and everything he could ever want. But after having sex five to six times a day with Catherine, Dave was beginning to grow bored with, you know, same old, same old. So this worried Catherine because she was so obsessed with pleasing David that she would do anything he ever asked and ask he did. So he told her that they had done everything they could possibly do together and he just needed more. But like, don't worry, because he's thought of a solution to this problem. So this this works out better because that way, you know, he won't have to like run around on her behind her back. So what if they introduce new women for David to have sex with. Mm. So Catherine would be there the entire time. She could even like join in if everybody wanted, you know, to but how about um, you're just like casually saying, you right. Know, yeah. Right. You know. just join in. Yeah. Of course they would have to abduct and rape these women, you know, <laughs> because no one's going to willingly do right. that. Because, like, if they don't agree to have sex with them, then that's just like the only choice they have. So, I'm just like, what about asking, you know? (laughs) I know. I I, I know. I was thinking that too. I was just like, oh, okay. Like they may say no, 
that's okay. Just try again. If you, that's, if that's what you really there's want, some, there's someone there's some out group, there. There's some group chats out there. I'm sure somewhere. <laughs> I mean, not in 86. There's not group. Chats. I know. I, I know that. <laughs> I was joking but. but I feel like there was like a lot of swinger parties and stuff back then right like wasn't you there find that if you wanted it somehow didn't they like have like maybe some newspaper ads or something for you <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny that you say newspaper ad because I'm about to get to that so yeah. <laughs> Catherine was like you know I would love to watch you have sex with another woman who was bound and gagged you know and so David was like say no more I'm on it and <laughs> in September of 86, he placed an ad in the local paper for a quote unquote roommate. And nobody answered this ad because it was fucking creepy. Well, right. So it read urgent in all caps. Looking for a lonely person. Prefer female 18 to 24 years. Share single room flat. <laughs> well, all these females were like, Mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going there <laughs> that's not the place I want to check out why well, I gotta be lonely <laughs> like, <laughs> why is there a specific age gap for these women why do I have to be women like what so unfortunately even though they got no calls for this ridiculous ad the birdies would find their first victim not long after this so on October 6 1986 David was at work so he worked at like a spare parts yard. Okay. And 22-year-old psychology student Mary Nielsen showed up and was asking about buying some tires for her car. So David told Mary, he was like, come here. I got, come here. I got to tell you something. I've been like, fuck no. Back up. But <laughs> <laughs> that's what I would have said. He said, why are you whispering? <laughs> right. We're outside. <laughs> You're outside voice. <laughs> <laughs> So he's like, so I have some new tires at my house. Then also I can sell no. you. Right. He's like, I can sell you them for a better price than you're going to get here. You just got, uh, you no. got to keep it on the DL. That's why we're whispering. Also, she's a psychology student. I know. But being a student on a budget, always looking for a good deal. She was like, okay, jackpot. That's awesome. Like, that'd be great. So David gave her his address and told her just come over sometime after five when he gets off work no I know I'm like Mary no girl so later that evening Mary showed up at three Morehouse street and knocked on the door once inside David immediately grabbed her and held her at knife point Mary was then dragged to the bedroom where she was chained up and gagged and David then repeatedly raped Mary while Catherine watched and encouraged him and questioned him about like what turned him on the most you know while he's brutally raping this woman right when they were finished with this it was at this point that they realized that they couldn't just let her go like she would go straight to police uh, so they're like well we're gonna have to get rid of her they then drove mary out to the Glen eagles national park where david raped her again because he's awful because he's a shitty person. Right. He then grabbed a nylon cord from the car, wrapped it around a tree branch and then around her neck and strangled her with it. He then dug a shallow grave, put her body in it. And before covering her with the dirt, he stabbed her in the chest, you know, just to be sure that she was dead. Because that's what you needed to do. Right. 
that was necessary, right? So necessary. So necessary. When they returned home, they realized they still had to get rid of her car because it was like parked right outside of their house. So they drove her car to a parking lot across the street from the police station. And it was six days before the police located her missing car. I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) Don't even. Literally, like, across the street. So now they're feeling like they're untouchable. Like, they can get away with whatever, because, like, for now they have, you know. Because it took the police six days to notice a car that was across the street. Right. So they began, like, hunting their victims. They would just, like, drive around searching for girls that were, like, walking alone that they thought they could convince to get into their car. And with Catherine, a woman in the car, it made it seem a lot safer for these girls to, like, accept the ride. Right. Because, you know, most people would be a little suspe- at least a little suspicious getting in a car with just, like, some strange man. But if it's, like, a nice, friendly-looking couple, it might seem a little less threatening. Right. They also had this gross-ass code that they would use. When they pick girls up. So like David would drive. And if Catherine saw a girl that she was okay with. Because the girl depended on Catherine. Like she was allowed to pick the girl. You know. So if she saw a girl that she was okay with them abducting. Then she would say. I've got the munchies. Have you got the munchies? And then if David would approve of this potential victim. He would say back to her. Yeah I've got the munchies. That's disgusting. Vomitous, right? So within two weeks of the murder of Mary, the couple was ready to strike again. On October 20th, just 14 days after abducting, raping, and murdering Mary, the Bernies came across 15-year-old Susanna Candy. Susanna was hitchhiking along the Sterling Highway in Claremont. David pulled the car up beside her, and Catherine asked her if she wanted to ride. She accepted, and as soon as she was in the car, she had a knife to her throat, and they bound her hands. You don't hitchhike. I know, but this was the time back then. People hitchhiked. You don't hitchhike. Not safe. Not it's never safe. It's never a good idea. Even when there's a friendly looking couple, you can't trust anybody. Everybody sucks. <laughs> that's my that's my life motto. Everybody sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I concur. (laughs) (laughs) So she was taken back to their house. And this time the Bernies changed it up a bit. Because David was disappointed that they had killed Mary so quickly. And he wanted to spend a lot more time with this girl. So they knew that more time would increase their risk of getting caught. They forced Susanna to write letters to her parents telling them that she was okay. And she had run away to Queensland with some friends. They even forced her to call them and read a script that Catherine had written, reassuring them that she was fine. Susanna was then chained to the bed and raped by David repeatedly. And occasionally, Catherine would also join them in bed. After several days of this, they finally decided they were finished with Susanna. And David attempted to manually strangle her. But she fought back, like, really hard. Mm. So eventually, the couple decided it would be best to force sleeping pills down her throat to subdue her. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Once she was unconscious, David gave Catherine the rope that he had and said, you need to prove your love to me by killing Susan. What the actual fuck? Also, her name's Susanna, not Susan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Be- you need to, what? You need to prove, 
bro, you're raping and abducting women because right. Okay. I, what the fuck? So without a second thought, she took the rope, pulled it tight around Susanna's throat until she stopped breathing. So that that's a lot to unpack there with Catherine. You know, she's so obsessed with pleasing David and having his like love and approval that she would just murder a 15 year old child without a second thought. Like, you know, she'd already abducted and helped him rape and all this stuff. But now she's just like literally murdering children to prove her love. So, so crazy as she she had seven seven kids like how do you do i i can ask until i'm blue in the face how can you do this and i'll never I, understand i i don't i don't understand it either so they took Susanna's body out to the glen eagles forest and buried her in a shallow grave adjacent to mary nielsen's grave now not even two weeks later on November 1st, 1986, they found their third victim. 31-year-old Nolene Patterson had been driving home from work when she ran out of gas. Oh, that's she, Yeah. She was a bar manager at Nedlands Gold Club. Nope, it's not Gold Club. It's Golf Club. I wrote gold, though. <laughs> <laughs> so she was a bar manager at Nedlands Golf Club and also a flight attendant on, like, a private jet for, like, this fancy entrepreneur named Alan Bond. Oh, okay. Like right. James Bond? Right. Exactly. <laughs> so David and Catherine happened to be driving down the Canning Highway when they saw her standing beside her car. Nolene was actually relieved to see them pull up because she knew them. Like, not knew them well, but she had met them a few weeks earlier because they had come to help her put wallpaper up in a room in her mother's house where she was living at the time. That's even shittier, too. Right. So this relief quickly turned to horror when she was held at knife point and forced into the car. Like Catherine got out of the car and was like, oh, hey, what's wrong? What's going on? Like checking on her or whatever. And then like pulls a knife and forces her into the car. Like she just thinks she's like, oh, hey, I know you. Oh, thank God. Right. Right. Maybe I know has seen me. And then bam. Mm-hmm. That's, that's so awful. She was taken back to their house where she was chained to the bed and repeatedly raped. After a few days of this, Catherine began to get very insecure. So, Nolene was, like, super smart, and she knew that this potentially would not end well for her. She's like, they're most likely going to kill me because I know who they are. Like, I can ID them. Right. So, she had begun not really going along, but kind of acting like she's going along with David instead of fighting him hoping that she can like manipulate him into keeping her alive basically mm -hmm. so Catherine could see that david really liked her and became worried that she's she's going to come between them you know she's going to tear them apart david kept putting off killing her like he'd make up excuses and after several days of this Catherine like lost her shit <laughs> so she held a knife to her own throat and told David that he had to choose between the two of them. So either he's going to kill Nolene now or Catherine's going to kill herself. So David then forced sleeping pills down Nolene's throat. And then once she was unconscious, he strangled her to death as Catherine watched. They then drove her body to the Glen Eagles forest and they buried her with the others. And... Catherine reportedly got lots of pleasure out of throwing the dirt on Nolene's face as she was burying her. Oh, I'm sure. Right. 
Because jealousy is not becoming for anybody. It's not. No. So as soon as they disposed of Nolene's body, they were ready to pick up their next victim. That's so shitty. Right. 21-year-old Denise Brown was waiting for a bus on Sterling Highway. So the Bernies pulled up and they somehow convinced Denise to let them give her a ride instead of waiting on the bus. And as soon as she got in the car, same story, different verse. Held at knife point, taken to three Morehouse Street. Like the three girls before her, she was chained to the bed and repeatedly raped. Like Susanna, she was forced to call her parents and tell them that she was okay. After two days of this, Catherine decided that Denise's time was up. You know, she didn't want David getting too close with this one too. Right. So they changed it up a little bit. They drove her to Wanneroo Pine Plantation. Okay. There they parked the car. This is like broad daylight. So they decided, oh, let's drive her here and let's wait for it to get dark out so then we can like dispose of her. So while they're waiting for it to get dark out, David was like, well, while we're waiting and just raped her inside the car in broad ass daylight. Ugh. As soon as night fell, they took her out of the car. And while David raped her again, Catherine plunged a knife into Denise's neck. Oh, so mm-hmm. jealousy really hit her this time. Yeah. This one's really awful. Like, they're all awful, but this is really they're- awful. So it gets worse. They Ugh. then dug a shallow grave. It always said shallow grave. I guess they're just too fucking lazy to. Well, I can see that. Right. And then they laid her body in it. And as soon as they began to throw dirt on her body, Denise suddenly sat straight up and began gasping for air. Right. In a panic, David struck her in the head with the shovel, but Denise was still struggling to get up. So he went back to the car and retrieved an axe. Ah! Mm-hmm. And then struck her three times full force in the head. Until she was finally dead. Mm-hmm. Now, after Denise's brutal murder, Catherine told David that she she just couldn't do this anymore. Like, she can't handle another murder like Denise's. It was just too much for her. That was too much for her. That was, okay. But she started it, but okay. First of all, fuck you. <sighs> like, you have not only gone along with all of this, like, you've helped with the murders of four women... So it's like fine to like drug them and strangle them, or it's fine for you to stab her in the neck while he rapes her, but that was too much. I uh, I hope you get a paper cut every single day for the rest of your life. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's, <laughs> there's nothing awful enough for you. I don't know, but those uh, fucking suck. I hope somebody fills all your socks with sand. <laughs> <laughs> David was easily able to convince her that it's going to be better next time like don't worry it won't be like that again and she was like okay so three days later how do you believe that like oh okay okay yeah sure three days later they found their fifth and final victim who would end up getting this killer couple caught oh do you like that alliteration yeah killer killer couple caught um (laughs) i I, I had it was a tongue twister for me nope (laughs) 17 year old kate moyer was walking home alone no (laughs) she was walking home along the sterling highway 
<laughs> after a night out with friends when the Bernies came across her. They were able to convince her to let them give her a ride home. And once inside, she was immediately held at knife point and taken to their house. Once at the house, she was forced to take a shower and then sit and watch the news with them. That's weird. Right. So the couple was, they were like doing drugs and intensely watching a story about several missing girls in the area. Mm. The ones that they killed? Yes. So they were like laughing and they made jokes about the victims. And this led, yeah. Absolute trash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this led Kate to the realization that they had known the girls in these news stories and they knew what happened to them and they were probably no longer alive. She also realized that she would most likely be their next victim and that she had to do whatever she could to survive. So she was like, okay, I have to like, like, I'm going to have to trick them. I'm going to have to like go along with them and like gain their trust. They forced her to dance for them to the Dire Straits song, Romeo and, Romeo and Juliet. Right? Oh. Uh-huh. Aren't they? Aren't they what? It went out. I said, oh, aren't they clever? So clever. Y'all are not fucking Romeo and Juliet. No. No. Otic little fucks. <laughs> um, they then chained her to the bed. David repeatedly raped her while Catherine watched and took notes, by the way. Like, she took notes? She took like notes. Actual- like, sat there and took notes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The next morning, they forced Kate to call her parents and tell them that she was okay and that she had drank too much the night before and had spent the night at a friend's house. Even though she was 17 and was not a drinker. Like, this was not a right. thing that she did. So, um, they told her if she said anything that might like tip her parents off, she would be murdered, quote, like the other ones. So Kate did whatever she could to try to earn their trust. And at one point while she was there, she was given a pen and some paper and was told to write goodbye letters to her loved ones. When the couple wasn't paying attention, she scribbled down her phone number on a piece of paper and like hit it in the couch cushions real fast and she also shoved like um her lipstick in between the couch cushions Mm -hmm. and she drew pictures and like hid them throughout the house and hid a pack of her cigarettes in the ceiling in one of the rooms so she wanted to make sure to leave clues that she'd been there hey everywhere right she wanted to leave yes she was she wanted to make it known that she was there that way, if she did end up being murdered and these people ever became suspects for these crimes, there'd be evidence that she had been in their home, hopefully getting them caught for what they'd done to her and all the other women before her. Before going to bed one night, instead of leaving Kate chained to the guest bed like he normally did, David brought her to the master bedroom where he handcuffed her foot to his own foot. Right. Yeah, that's that's the face you should make to that. <laughs> So he then like gave her some sleeping pills, which like, we don't like that. That's not a good sign. Kate was super smart and she hid the pills under her tongue and waited till they weren't paying attention and then like slipped them under the mattress. She was like, I need to stay sharp so I can like focus on escaping. And if I take these pills, 
I probably will not wake up again. So on the morning of November 10th, before David left for work, Kate heard him tell Catherine that that night when he got home, they were going to kill her. Like they'd had her long enough. It was time. So Kate knew that she was going to have to escape that day if she wanted to survive. And she was like, I do have a better chance of escaping with only one of them here. So she began talking to Catherine, like doing her best to like befriend her. Um, even though this woman had like kidnapped and helped assault her. Yeah, but she's also just, she's crazier. She's fucking crazy. Yes. But to Kate's surprise, Catherine unchained her from the bed and like let her come out of the bedroom and they like sat and talked because she's fucking crazy you know she never had friends growing up and this person seems like she's interested in like in like her and like what she likes and what she doesn't like and all that so Kate continued to try to have like normal conversation with Catherine she like asked her what her favorite songs were and Catherine like happily played music for her and she just like pretended to be interested in what she had to say then at one point the doorbell rang so Catherine like took Kate back to the bedroom but didn't chain her back up she just put her in the bedroom and was like stay quiet so Kate knew that this was her chance there was a window in the bedroom so she went to the window tried to open it there was a lock on it like a not one like you can oh just flip it unlock it from the inside like it was a lock lock that they had put on there so she was able to break the log and climb out the window. She, she, so she climbs out the window. She's like almost completely naked. She runs to several of the neighboring homes, but nobody came to the door to any of them, which like, how frustrating would that be? Oh man, I would be so, so frustrated. Oh, and so upsetting. Finally, she runs to a nearby store and she told the owner she was like, I've been raped. If a woman comes here and she like says that we got in a fight and that I'm her daughter, like, don't believe her. She's lying. Like, don't believe her, please help. So the store owner like drives her to the police station. She tells them her story. And initially they did not believe her. <sighs> like, are you fucking kidding me? Like how, I don't even know what I would do if I was like, I don't even know. So they, they accused her of making up the entire story for attention. They like handed her off to a rookie officer named Laura Hancock, who also happened to be the only female in the station at the time. And they told her, you know, like, like get her story, write her up for making like a false police report, whatever. She's but, a fucking kid. <laughs> she's a fucking kid. She's almost completely naked, clearly traumatized. Like what the fuck? Laura believed her story. She was like, what the fuck, guys? <laughs> so she's like... I mean, we are, we are talking about the guys that literally didn't see the car across the street. Across the street for six days, yes. So she had so many details in her story that never changed. She told Laura that they, the kidnappers had like watched a lot of movies while she was there. Like She was like, the last one they watched was Rambo. It's on a VHS. It should still be in the freaking VCR. She told her about the drawings that she had made and like hidden throughout the house, about her lipstick, cigarettes, like her phone number, right. all this stuff. She described a mustard colored robe that David wore when he raped her, which oh. is vomitous. And I saw pictures of it. And oh my God, who it? 
she also told her that she was pretty sure they had used fake names around her because she had seen a medicine bottle on the kitchen table at one point and it had the name David Bernie on it. And David wasn't the name that the woman was calling the man in front of her. Mm. Now, when the police hear the name David Bernie, they're like, wait a minute. We know him. <laughs> they're like, oh, wait, I'll listen to you. Right. They're like, he's been in and out of the system since he was a young boy. Um, he even got in trouble at one point for breaking into a woman's home and attempting to rape her. So maybe you aren't a lying liar face after all. Oh, hmm. So they got her to take them back to the house that she had escaped from. I wouldn't do that. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's not right. Right. I wouldn't it, do that. They so didn't many make things to go wrong with that. They didn't make her go inside, but they drove her to it. And so as soon as the house was like in view, Kate completely broke down. She like laid across the back seat of the police car she's like crying she's like please don't make me go in there like whatever she's freaking the fuck out well right so officers go to the house and they question Catherine. she denies everything that kate had said obviously upon searching the house they found that Catherine had tried burning any evidence in the fireplace like kate's clothes mm. um they also found all of the hidden evidence Kate had told them about. So Catherine was arrested and they went to David's work and arrested him there where he was just like doing normal work stuff, acting like he <laughs> had been abducting, raping and murdering women, you know? So David and Catherine were brought into the station and questioned separately. They said that Kate had come over to their house, but she had come over of her own free will to like, Oh yeah. Yeah, because she came over so that she could do drugs and have consensual sex with them. Mm. This 17-year-old came over to, yeah. to 35-year-old's house to, like, rave mm. an orgy. What? That they didn't, that she didn't know. Right. I don't, yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> she I, just I, walked I, up to this random person's house and did that. Right. Right. Gotcha. They weren't talking about anything else. They were just like, yes, she came over, but she, it was consensual, whatever. Without confessing to the other crimes other women that had gone missing the only thing that they could link them to was like the abduction and rape of kate because they had all the evidence where she was in the house and she clearly had been raped so they they're drilling them for hours finally exhausted with all this questioning one of the officers says to david why don't you just show us where the bodies are so we can go ahead and dig them up so they were completely shocked when david replied okay there's four of them oh my right yeah and then as soon as word got out that David had confessed, Catherine was like, yeah, okay, we did it. Does she think that they're going to, like, share a jail cell? Probably. Probably. They're, they're not, that though. fucking delusional? Yes. The answer is yes. So together, the couple escorted several police down to Waterloo Road and through the Pine Forest. And David, like, chatted the whole drive there. Like, just would not stop talking. At one point, he realized, oh, we, we went too far. We missed our turn. So he's like, turn around. We missed it. Um, they had to stop, turn around. And then he's like, okay, stop right here. They get out. He leads them to a mound of sand. And he points to the mound. And he's like, dig here. Within five minutes of digging, they had discovered the body of Denise Brown, who had been reported missing just five days earlier. 
He then directed the convoy to Glen Eagle Picnic Area, and after traveling for a half an hour, he guided police into the forest and up a long, narrow track. There, police uncovered the decomposing body of 22-year-old Mary Nelson, who had gone missing a little over a month earlier on October 6th. And then not even a mile down the track, he pointed out the burial site of 15-year-old Susanna Candy, who'd been missing since October 19th. Catherine was eager to point out the next grave site, telling police it was her turn, and leading them to the place where 31-year-old Nolene Patterson had been buried. Of so course Catherine, she's eager for that one. Exactly. She made sure that police knew how much she liked Nolene from the start. And she went on to say that she was glad that she was dead. And then made a point of spitting on her grave right there in front of the police. Oh my god. Like what the actual fuck. When they were leaving her gravesite, David kind of muttered to one of the officers. What a pointless loss of a young life. Like you did this. <laughs> like what? He really said that? Yes. Oh my god. You're not allowed to say that. You fucking did all you of it. You can't say that to all of, any of them. Right. So police were amazed that neither David nor Catherine showed any emotion at all while the bodies were being uncovered. They seemed to like really enjoy being the center of attention. Well, of course. And it also seemed super important to Catherine to appear just as responsible as David was. On the 12th of November, the pair were charged with four counts of murder and one count of abduction and rape. After this news about the murders came out, a 19-year-old student came forward and said that she was walking home from the university one night and was offered a ride by a couple whose descriptions matched the Bernies exactly. She said that she had declined the ride because she felt a little uneasy about getting in the car after seeing what she thought was either like a young boy or a young girl laying across the back seat. And she had thought that like the person was asleep, but the timing suggested that it was the body of Denise Brown and that she was like drugged and conscious at the time in the back seat when they were like they on were the way to their next victim already, right. like literally while they still had one victim in the car with them oh my God. on the way to dispose of her body they were going to go ahead and just pick up another one so at the hearing in february of 1987 both david and Catherine pled guilty to all charges justice alkin wallace sentenced david burney to life in prison stamping his record never to be released he said these horrible crimes were premeditated planned and carried out cruelly and relentlessly over a comparatively short period and that he should never be let out of prison. So Catherine was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 20 years. So like in 2007, she's Why? eligible for parole. Right. He said that strict life imprisonment should mean exactly that for her. And when sentencing was over, Catherine Bernie was dragged kicking and screaming and spitting to the van that would take her to the prison. David Burney was escorted away while citizens like screamed at him and like cussed and screamed and he just calmly smiled and then blew a kiss at them before getting into the van. Oh, what a fucking smug prick. Mm -hmm. So the first four years the couple was in prison, they exchanged more than 2,600 letters. Oh, okay. Yeah, they weren't allowed to have any other contact that they could send each other letters. David was not popular with the other prisoners. <laughs> I'm 
I mean, I guess not. Yeah. And then after getting the shit beat out of him several times, he was eventually moved to solitary confinement for his safety. Initially, Catherine had said that she wanted to get married to David, like in prison, have a prison marriage. But by 1997, she had completely changed her mind. And David just started no longer getting letters from her. So she believed that if she cut all ties from David, she would have a better chance of getting parole when that time came around. Mm. Sometime after he stopped receiving letters from Catherine, David claimed that his separation from her was sending him into a complete physical and mental breakdown. And he was prescribed antidepressants. And in 2005, I'm guessing he got out of solitary confinement for a little while because he was charged with sexual assault on a fellow prisoner and his computer was confiscated after it was found to contain pornographic images. So why does he have a computer in the first place? Is what I'm Also, <laughs> why? Well, I guess given the time, well, no, it was 2007. It was 2005. Oh, okay. 2005. Sorry. Still block that fucking shit why are you why like, is that even accessible right y'all can't put parental blocks on fucking <laughs> yeah you fucking can that was a thing back then <laughs> so in early october of 2005 there was an error in paperwork for his medication so his supply was like cut off and on the morning of october 7th 2005 prison officers entered his cell to find the body of 54 year old david bernie hanging from a sheet attached to an air vent so this little prick committed suicide and that is that on him. No one claimed his body. And after spending a month in the morgue, he was buried in an unmarked pauper's grave. Like he's just. Mm -hmm. Police believe that David committed several more murders, possibly before the couple moved in together. And that Catherine may not have been involved in them, but she probably knew about them. Mm. Catherine is currently 71 years old and is currently serving her time in Bandiup Women's Prison. So she was first eligible for parole in 2007. And even though she was found to be a low risk of reoffending since David was dead at that point, she was denied due to the extreme um, nature of her crimes. Good. Yes. Her application was again rejected in 2013. Over the years, her children have come to visit her in prison you know the Which ones that she just odd, fucking abandoned yes well she wrote them letters like I, I read a an interview with one of her sons and she wrote this creepy ass letter talking about how much she loved them and like it's it's like unfortunate i'm not proud of what's being said about me and things like that so I'd, I don't know if they just went to visit her just to get some kind of closure or, or what, but this son ended the interview with like, I wish she would just hurry up and die already, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's like, we don't want any part of that. She's no. So she's an awful human being. Right. She told people that she had been, including her kids when they came to visit her, that she had been confused and distressed and she was like addicted to heroin at the time she was not oh, proud whatever. of what happened right she told everyone that she only participated in the killings because of a combination of the drugs and her infatuation with david and that she only took part in the sexual assaults to like demonstrate her love for him whatever 
And she you said, all you want, those are awful excuses still. Right. She said she was so messed up on drugs that she was prepared to follow him to the ends of the earth and do anything to make sure his desires were satisfied. She expressed most likely fake ass sorrow for her victims. And she now serves as the prison's like head librarian. And she's like acted in plays that the inmates put on together. Right. In 2016, the prisoners review board recommended that she never be released. And chief investigating detective on the Bernie case, Paul Ferguson said that he honestly believes that she has never given those victims one ounce of consideration, both the dead victims and the families of the victims. She's like, nobody's never thought she's never given them a second thought. He's like, she's an actor. She'll do whatever is necessary to do what she wants to do. And of the Bernies, he said that they were, quote, parasites who lived off of each other and the most evil people I've ever, ever come across. And that is the case of David and Catherine Bernie. Ugh. Yeah. I knew the case because I actually debated doing the case mm-hmm. but I, a while back, but I didn't know it in depth. And that is disturbing. So disturbing. Like, that is fucked. So that is the last time I'll do a couple for a little bit, probably. <laughs> Why is it that the, the, the couples are always, like, so extreme? They're so fucking, like, what is wrong with these people? I don't know. I mm. don't know. They're always so extreme. They really are. So, yeah. But, that's that on that. Well, follow us on all the stuff. Serialholics.com <laughs> You said serialholics.com is what I heard. Oh. <laughs> Serialholicsisters.com. <laughs> That's right. Follow yeah. us. Email us. Say what's up. <laughs> what up, what up? <laughs> what it do? All right. Well, let's be awkward. <laughs> okay. Bye.